Welcome to Notes from Above, the program that explores the intersection of music and faith. And I am your co-host, Deacon Tom Lowy. And I'm Sister Sarah Burdick. And you're going to take this boat out today? I am. Right? This, I, I, uh, yeah, I put this together. So, And I'm kind of pleased with this, too. We just heard a, a, a wonderful piece uh, by the English composer uh, William Byrd. Mm-hmm. The, the work we heard was Atalita Portas. means gates raise your heads. Uh, and it's uh, taken from uh, Psalm 24, verses 7, 8, and 10, okay? Uh, it's an in, in, invitatory psalm, which we pray. Right. Right. You, you and I prayed this right. regularly. Just this morning. We, right. we pray at week two when mm-hmm. you're on week two. That's, it, it's that's from right. a, we're going to feature this recording for the entire uh, show today, the Ave Virum Corpus Motets and Anthems of William Byrd on Collegium Records. It was released in 1989, and it's uh, the Cambridge uh, Singers under the direction of John Rutter. And um, so it's... All the music we're going to hear today is William Byrd, and I chose it for a very specific reason, and maybe I'll just give a little outline on that. In During the, 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 the 16th and 17th centuries, okay, the music of the Catholic Church in England in particular was suppressed by the king and parliament and all the liturgies, the mass, the office. And why is that? Sacraments, everything, okay? Why? It was brought to a grinding halt and, and monasteries were, were uh, seized, uh, churches were desecrated, and English Catholics became martyrs. And yet, this is the thing, okay. the most prominent composers of that period were Catholics. 
right? And mm-hmm. so that's what we're going to we're listening to the music of William Byrd. Thomas Tallis is another one that people may mm-hmm. may know very well. Yeah, quite a story. Um, uh, Byrd uh, was born in 1543, and he died in 1623. So he lived basically through uh, the heart of the English Reformation, and uh, he was a Catholic who never ceased to be a Catholic. Uh, and the story of it, let's see if I can even do this, is uh, is that Henry VIII, uh, King Henry VIII, yes. uh, was married to a woman by the name of Catherine, mm-hmm. who actually was the um, uh, the wife of his brother. But his brother died uh, of tuberculosis. And when he died, Catherine became, because the, for di- dynastic reasons, Catherine became the bride of uh, Henry VIII. Henry VIII, yeah. But she could not bear children. And as a result of that, Henry uh, petitioned the uh, Vatican for an annulment, which they granted. Okay. Then, okay, he, at the same time, he was dating another girl. All right. And uh, her name was Anne Bullen. Okay. Uh-huh. And his hope was that he could marry her instead. And he wanted a son. Right. Right. Heir right. to the throne. Yeah, but that didn't happen. Okay. And so then he wanted to go and get another annulment. So this is how this goes. Okay. And the, at this point, the church says, no, no, we, we gave you one. We're not going to give you another. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. All right. And so he says, who are these papists? Who are these people who are controlling my kingdom? Hmm. Who I'll are they to tell church. me what to do? Hmm. So he decides to take over the church. And that's the beginning of this incredible disaster that happened in England. Yes. Uh, it was it was basically illegal to be... If You could be a Catholic, but you had to pay this enormous fine, for instance, okay? They would call you a recusant. And this fine was wow. like, unless you were a wealthy person, you didn't pay it, okay? But if you didn't pay and they caught you uh, going to a Catholic service, they would... I mean, it's off with your head. It's done. Okay, oh. you are in trouble. So uh, the Catholic Church was deeply suppressed, and it was suppressed for centuries. Okay, mm-hmm. going all the way, uh, actually past the the, the, the glorious re- uh, revolution that they had in in 1688. You know, when when Oliver Cromwell came in and the Puritans mm. sort of took took a charge of Parliament. Uh, but it wasn't until I think the 1850s or 60s, and and I can get that date by the way, where um, uh, it was illegal, actually illegal to be Catholic in in the uh, in the realm within the realm. Wow! Wow! And great saints came out of this, by the way, you know John Fisher and Thomas More, but mm. uh, you know an enormous amount of of uh, men and women uh, lost their Margaret Clitheroe, um, a number of of um, uh, good Catholic men and women uh, lost their lives because they refused to uh, uh, kowtow to the. Um, uh, Insistence of the English Church. So William Byrd. Okay, we'll go back to the to the composer. The composer was uh, he was friends with Elizabeth. Okay, who was the daughter of Henry VIII. Okay, uh, and I think his his I think she's I'll find out exactly. I'm not going to go and say who's who's um, who her mother was, but it was one of King Henry King, King Henry VIII's wives. Okay, and. Uh, uh, so she was the the legitimate um, uh, uh, queen of England, and she knew William very well. 
because, you know, he was part of the, the Chapel Royal. He and Talis, they were both buddies. And they, uh, they, they knew the Queen and she knew them. And she was not, she did not want to go and get involved in, in, in issues relating to religion so much because they were the fine musicians and they were doing some great work. And what she did is she gave them the patent, basically, for, uh, sheet music in, uh, in England. In other words, if you wanted to get music, uh, sheet music, you know, uh, what are they, the five lines, okay, on, on, on paper, which was very expensive at the time, hmm. you had to go to these guys, okay, and so they, they would go and sell it. So they had, they had the, uh, the, the corner basically on that business, on, on the business of sheet music. And that basically kept them active, busy, and, um, safe. And, uh, but, uh, William Byrd wrote music for the Anglican Church, which is beautiful, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote a great deal of music for the Catholic Church, for the Catholic Mass, for the for the, um, the what, what they call the graduali, okay, the the uh, the propers of of the Mass, as opposed to uh, the ordinary sections of it. You know, the the ordinary sections would be like the Kyrie, the Sanctus, the Gloria, uh, those types of things. But the but the sequences for the for the um, uh, that would occur for the uh, uh, the, the festivals, the feast days, uh, they, they had to have music written specially for those things. And so he wrote books on that, which he did not publish. You know, mm-hmm. it was not until after he was gone that they discovered this and they went, Oh, this is pretty good music. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, wow. I think, I think I've set it up a little I, bit. I, I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we should go to our next selection. Uh, and this is, by the way, this is uh, another one. This is this is uh, uh, the work is attributed to uh, Pope Innocent VI, who died in uh, 1342. This is the Ave Virum Corpus, Hail True Body, uh, and this is a sequence hymn hymn for the Feast of Corpus Christi, and is taken from his uh, Gradualia uh, that was written in 1605. And um, this is interesting because the the Church of England was was unsure of what happened. Uh, during the Eucharist, okay, whether it was consubstantial, transubstantial, this, mm. but he was, William Byrd was very clear on this point, and he wrote this beautiful, beautiful piece. So let's listen to it. On the other side, we'll have a conversation about the Ave Virum Corpus and William Byrd and this uh, beautiful music.
That is so beautiful. It really is. Ave virum corpus. Let's talk about those words. Absolutely. Let's go there. Here's here's what we heard. It was in Latin, obviously, um, but uh, here's what it is in English. All hail, O true body of the Blessed Virgin born, which in anguish to redeem us did suffer upon the cross, from whose side, when pierced by spear, there came forth both water and blood. Be to us, at our last hour, the source of consolation. O loving, O holy, O Jesus, thou Son of Mary, O have mercy on me. Amen. Deacon Tom, I've been, you know, here we are in the Lenten season, and I've been thinking a lot about standing at the foot of the cross, especially with the Blessed Mother. I mean, we know Mary Magdalene was there, and John the Apostle was there. But, um, you know, Mother Mary was perfect, right, without sin. She's not going to say, she's not going to look at me and say, look what you've done to my son, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. be uh, sorrowful, absolutely she's sorrowful. And I'm just like, how can I, Mother Mary, how can I express my my gratitude, for what your son has done. And you know what I think it is, Deacon Tom? What's that? I believe it's to completely surrender my life to the Lord Jesus. Amen. And that honors him and it honors his mother. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not this is not a sacrifice that's in vain, but I've been thinking a lot about standing at the foot of the cross. Right, and, and I think you, you made a very interesting, um, it's very perceptive. Uh, Mary has no vengeance in her heart. None. And, and that's that's amazing, okay, because we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a killing. That's that's, that's literally right. what happens. Yeah. It's an execution. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yet she points to him. And what, she, what is she pointing to? Okay, she's pointing to also, at that point, she's pointing to the crucified Lord, okay, the sacrifice mm-hmm. that occurs, that great uh, and... Unbelievable sacrifice that is made on behalf of all of us. Mary points to Jesus. She's mm-hmm. always doing this. She mm-hmm. points to the to the risen Lord as well. Mm-hmm. She's constantly doing this. And it, and so I think uh, sometimes people don't understand the the importance of Mary in in Catholic thinking. But you know we we understand that that's what she does. Sometimes sometimes it's really hard to go and pray to God. It's, the things are hard. They're very difficult. Mm-hmm. And yet you know we can say Mary. You know. I have this, you know. I, I need, I need to find, I need to find God now. Mm-hmm. And what she said, so, so she will. She will point to Him. Here, here He is. Here He is. And that's yeah. that's one of her responses, I think, to uh, our petitions to her. Yeah. Says, look this way. She always points to Jesus. Yes, she does. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's important. I mean, I know those who are Catholic that are listening understand this. But if you're not Catholic, you need to understand that Catholics do not worship Mary. No. We don't worship her. Mm-hmm. We honor Mary, but we don't worship her. And, you know, who loves Jesus more? Who More than the Blessed Mother. I mean, she loves him perfectly. And as we said, she's always pointing to him. Right. right? It's not nothing about her at all. Right. Right. Exactly right. And I think also there's um, uh, a... A different understanding amongst some of our Protestant brethren uh, uh, regarding, you know, what happens to us after we quote die. Mm-hmm. All right, that 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 
there's a certain finality in terms of the um, some some Protestants' point of view. Okay, that 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 is that's it. It's dead. They're dead. They don't. They're not alive. Mm-hmm. Whereas Catholics say, no, no, there are angels and saints. Mm-hmm. There is they they live in Christ continually. They're there. Okay, mm-hmm. that that they have been. That's why we call them saints. They've been brought into mm-hmm. into heaven to be with the Lord forever. And so um, their their uh, their vitality is real. Yeah. I mean, they, they are they they are alive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mary is alive to uh, not only Catholics but to everyone. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because it's true about her. <clears throat> this is this is our understanding. And and I think that's that's very important. Uh, you know, I also wanted to go and mention something. That, you know, we uh, and I think I think in a way we we just did it. Uh, we, you know, William Byrd, who is uh, a man who is basically writing for uh, people who don't agree with him. Okay, in his in his religious uh, stance, uh, but he he too points to that cross. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the the uh, um, the things that he writes about uh, really are talking about. The, the trials that, that Catholics are going through in England at that time, okay? And so they have like a double meaning within, within them, okay? Uh, uh, you know, there's their understanding of what the cross is. You know, he was alive when, uh, uh Thomas More was executed. Uh, he was alive when many, many martyrs, uh, you know, men and, and women were taken to, uh, uh, to their death. Because of the, of standing for their belief, and so he had to be quiet during this time. He couldn't point to himself. Right. All right. Yeah. But uh, he but he did uh, continue mm-hmm. to uh, you know he was openly Catholic in in some senses mm-hmm. as well. But he's very openly Catholic in in his uh, in 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 his writings. Uh, so it's really really remarkable. I do want to go make a correction. I I had, had mentioned that. Uh, um, Elizabeth uh, was uh, of a different mother than Anne Boleyn. No, she wasn't. She, Anne Boleyn was her mother. Mm-hmm. Three years after uh, Elizabeth uh, was born, her mother was executed by the king. All right. So it's who would ever want to marry a guy that murders his wife? Well, you know, and and he he definitely uh, he definitely was involved with many many women in his life. It seemed to be something that was. Uh, uh, very strong in his understanding of uh, of who he was. Okay, he he believed that he was uh, uh, the the head of the Church of England uh, mm-hmm. in earth under Jesus Christ, supreme head to his royal style. And I'm just reading this. Uh, uh, you know, he proclaimed himself not the Pope to be the head of the Church of England. That happened in, in 1535, and uh, certainly a uh, very difficult time uh, for. The people of England. Um, now, wait, how much time do we have? Oh, we still have a little I bit of time. A couple minutes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me see. I want to go in, and, and this, this next piece that we're going to listen to is called "Gadi Amis Omnes." Let us all rejoice. Okay. And this is, by the way, uh, this is taken from his um, uh, his Gradualia of 1605, and it's from the uh, the Intuit for the uh, Feast of All Saints. Think about that, All Saints. This is a this is an issue for for um, Catholics, okay, because they are thinking of saints in a different manner, perhaps, than the the English government or the or the English royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, the saints that they know are the ones that have been uh, taken to the uh, um, to be drawn and quartered and hung. Uh, the, the saints that are, um, have lost their head or have been burnt to the stake. Uh, it's, it's not a, 
it's not an easy thing, uh, you know, for for them at all. And but that was an understatement. Yeah, yeah. And here's here's what the lyric is. So so listen to this. In light of that, okay, is let us all rejoice in the Lord, uh, celebrating the feast day in honor of all the saints. The angels are glad at their festival and praise the Son of God. Rejoice, you righteous, in the Lord. It becometh well the just to be thankful. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. That's that's what we're going to hear. So um, this is called the Gaudiamus Omnes, okay, and uh, it's taken from, uh, it's at one of his motets. I think you're going to enjoy this. Good. So, okay, let's listen to it.
Welcome back to Notes from Above, the program that explores the intersection of music and faith. And I am your co-host, Deacon Tom Lowy. And I'm Sister Sarah Burdick. Deacon Tom, we'll have to have you back here doing just a great job with this show. I'm liking the music. I really am. We're listening to the music of of William Byrd, the English composer. uh, And uh, he was born 1543, died 1623, right in the middle of the uh, English Reformation. The piece that we just heard uh, is taken from a recording called Ave Virum Corpus, Motets and Anthems on Collegium Records, uh, released in uh, 1989. Um, but what we just heard was, uh, is called Justorum Anime, The Souls of the Righteous. And uh, this is taken from uh, an antiphon for Easter Day from his, um, uh, his Graduaalia of uh, 1605. I'll give you a little <coughs> date on this. But let's go and listen to the words. And I want to go and read the commentary on this because it's fascinating to me. Here's the words. The Souls of the Righteous are in the hand of God and there shall be no torment or excuse me and there shall no torment touch them in the sight of the unwise they seemed to die but they are in peace that's what they say now here's what the commentary from uh, from this uh, CD is on this is peace which is the last word we heard okay or at least peace of mind, is something that William Byrd can scarcely have experienced in his own life. The practice of his illegal faith made him forever vulnerable to informers, enemies, and a hostile government, a life spent in fear, however subconscious of the knocks on the door at midnight. You cannot relax when that type of thing happens, by the way. okay? And, and so that's you, you sense... Here, here we have this, this, this profound peace that's being discussed, but it's something that he didn't live with, but he had to go and reflect upon. Mm-hmm. I think it's really yeah, quite, quite good, beautiful. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I think also, sister, am I right on this? That this comes mm-hmm. from the book of wisdom? Yeah, chapter three, and it only left out a couple of verses, but, mm. um, and I always love this. I've heard this at many, this is a classic reading for but, funerals. Yes, exactly right. right. Yeah. Um, so, but it goes on, and I do believe you said this. Um, I'll just read it from the RSV. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seemed to have died, and their departure was thought to be an affliction, and they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. You can see why people choose this reading for funerals, mm-hmm. because it's... This isn't the end of the road. How many times do we say that? You know, life here, this is not the end. And, you know, I I know of someone who recently lost their son in a tragic accident, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like oh, so incredibly painful. And I've been praying for this family, and I started thinking, the Blessed Mother understands what it's like to lose a son. Oh, that's a great truth. She understands. So I've been asking the Blessed Mother to to pray for this family, um, just asking that she would give them peace and give them hope. Um, and to, you know, you can never, and I would never try to say, wow, why did this happen? You know, I don't. I would never go there. I don't understand why. Um, I continue to trust God. I don't get it, but... I will trust that he'll bring some good out of this. Well, you know, maybe maybe uh, a little reflection on, on losing a, a child is important. Uh, there may be people who listen right now who have that's actually happened to them. Yeah. Uh, a child is 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 uh, has a future. Yeah. 
Okay, when the child is born, that's what you think about. Right. You think about, you know, what what where, what's going to happen with this child that mm-hmm. I have in you my have this hands? Hope, right? Yeah. Right, there's there's great hope. And and mm-hmm. for us to 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 outlive the child, okay, is really hard. It's like the wrong order, right? Right, it's right out of order. It mm-hmm. is right out of order. And so the the grief that is that is experienced is is profound in ways that I don't know if I can even, I think you're right, sister. It's not something that we can understand. No. But I, I think we, we need to stand by. We need to be with them in their grief. We cannot go and give them advice, obviously, and we, we can't go through it because we're not as intimate to the right. loss as they are. What they, what they lose right. is, is a future, a future. Yeah. Okay. They, they always look at the, their child as something that used to be. Okay, as opposed to is, and that that's really really complicated. You know, it's it's one of those um, disasters that happen in people's lives, and yet often I see the same the same thing seems to happen again and again. You know, I, I've been to many funerals, and especially mm-hmm. funerals of, of people who have lost their 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 children. And uh, uh, it, it, if they don't collapse under the strain of it, often they become more and more faithful. Yeah. They, they turn there's, there's to God. grace for that. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. God gives them the grace that they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't, okay? Yeah. That's not what we can do. Mm-hmm. All we can do is, is uh, give our hearts to them in, mm-hmm. their, in their distress, which is, uh, again, unfathomable. Do you know also, Deacon Tom, you can, if you look at Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, I'm not, I don't know exactly what verse it is, but there's a line that just sticks with me where they talk about, <clears throat> it's a prophecy about Jesus, basically. Mm-hmm. It says, um, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, yeah. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so, you know, any any parents who are listening, if you've lost a child, you know, I am, I, I will say I am so, so sorry for your loss. Mm-hmm. And... um I'm just going to ask the Blessed Mother to pray for you because, again, she understands what it's like to lose a son, to lose a child. And Jesus understands grief. Amen. He's acquainted with it. Amen. Well, let's, let's go into our next selection here. This one here is, uh, is quite beautiful. Uh, this is an anthem, okay? Uh, this is something that um, uh, he, would, uh, he would write several of them. It's from a recording, uh, not a recording, but from a, 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 a hymnal basically called Psalms, Songs, and Sonnets. That was uh, released in, in uh, 1611, and uh, this is called "Turn Our Captivity," uh, and I think well, I'll, I'll read the lyrics before we listen to it, and, and then we'll listen to it, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what this might have meant to the composer. Here's here's what what he has uh, written: "Turn our." This, by the way, is taken from uh, Psalm 126. "Turn our captivity, O Lord, as a brook in the south." They that sow in tears shall reap in joyfulness. Going they went and wept, casting their seeds. But coming, they shall come with jollity, carrying their sheaves with them. And uh, this, by the way, is going to be sung in English, so you should be able to hear the lyrics. And uh, the name of the piece is Turn Our Captivity.
on the part of the uh, Cambridge singers. Um, uh, the, the sound of a direction of uh, John Rutter, a um, great director, composer. We, we love the guy, and I think we've uh, we featured him many, many times. But it's the music of William Byrd, uh, and uh, it is the uh, Gestorum Anime, okay, the souls of the righteous. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's from a recording called Ave Virum Corpus. Excuse me, I, t- I, I just missed, I, I misspoke. This is Turn Our Captivity. I'm sorry, I, the first the first song of, of our set here was Yestum uh, Anime, but now we're listening, we just listened to uh, Turn Our Captivity, Psalm 126, from his Psalms and Songs uh, uh, and Sonnets of 1611. Um, wonderful uh, performance. I just I just love the sound of it. But... Uh, when when we listen to this, we have to remember what it is that they're singing. Uh, you know, they're they're referring to a captivity, uh, and for English Catholics, that's exactly how they felt. Mm, yeah. um, they, you know, I'm, I'm looking at at his life, um, the, the chronology of his life, and uh, beginning in uh, in the in the 15, uh, 1588. Okay, um, his wife. Uh, was um, cited for recusancies. In other words, they were they were going to try and arrest his wife. Okay, <laughs> uh, recusancy was uh, uh, um, something that was uh, you, you you it meant that you were not going to church. Okay, so you weren't going to the Anglican church. You were mm. you know either going to a, 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 a perhaps. A, a, a clandestine mass or something like that, uh, but you were not you are not going to go to to the to the Protestant Church. Okay, the Catholics were refusing to do so, and they would fine you a great deal of money for that. And Byrd himself also uh, suffered through that. Uh, uh, by 1585, he too was being accused of recusancy, and uh, so uh, this is this is a struggle. So the song, of course, uh, that we just heard. Okay, uh, uh, you know, turn our captivity, O Lord, as a brook in the south. They that show so uh, so uh, in tears shall reap in joyfulness. 
Uh, and then, by the way, when when uh, they got to the, they shall come with jollity carrying their sheaves with them. There's a there's a great uplift. Shouts in, of joy. Shouts of joy, right? And and we hear that in the music. So it it, it actually is. Uh, um, uh, he's, he's he's using tone painting basically to go and, and express uh, this really complex psalm. Uh, now you were looking at that, sister. Right. It's one of the, the Psalm 126 is one of the 15 psalms or songs of ascents, a s c e n t s. So the pilgrims would sing these psalms on their way to Jerusalem. Wow. On the way to the temple. And now Saint Augustine. Now you know you could you could take this or leave it. No offense, Augustine. But there are 15 of these psalms, and apparently there were 15 steps going up to the temple. Wow. So, but they would sing these as they're on their pilgrimage. Right. Which is, right. I love, you know, I, I really do love the verse that he focused on, and I just have to repeat it because it's so good. Psalm 126, verse 5. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. It's not easy to do, right? That's right. He that goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like I should say something. I think we've been a little hard on, on, uh, on Protestantism today. On, on yeah, notes don't from above. be too hard on Yeah, don't. No, no seriously. Uh, it's... Uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and mm-hmm. and I think I've been a little bit hard on him. And, and of course, this is a, you know talking about the um, the English Reformation, and of course, a lot of Catholics suffered as a result of that. But today, people are suffering all over the world uh, because of their faith. Because they're Christians. Because sure. they are Christians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just telling Sister uh, while while the music was going on about the, the Armenians. I don't know if, if uh, you folks have been paying attention to this, but uh, last year um, there was a uh, – you kind of kind of know the map a little bit, but uh, in the, uh, the isthmus that, that separates the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, uh, there are two nation states. Uh, one of them is called uh, Azerbaijan, and the other one is called Armenia. And uh, they're high mountain uh, states. They've been they're, they're alpine, basically. They're mm-hmm. way up there in the Caucasus. And uh, there is a, an island of um, uh, of Armenians that are inside of the country of our, uh, of Azerbaijan, and and it's called Nagorno Karabakh. And the um, uh, the they were attacked basically. They were they, first. They tried to st- uh, starve them out. They're all Christians, by the way. They're all Christians, and and it's uh, they're Muslims on the other side. You know, the uh, Azerbaijan people are, are Muslims, and the people in Nagorno Karabakh are, are Christians, Armenian Christians, and then they decided to attack and drive them out. And for several months, there were well over a hundred thousand. Christians on the road trying to get to Armenia in the middle of the winter in the high country. And you can imagine how terrible that is. But a 100,000. This is not small numbers, all right? When we look at what's going on in Nigeria right now, right. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's frightening. Uh, you know, well, I think you know, last year over, over 5,000 Nigerian even, Christians, Catholics, and Protestants together right. were, were killed over, Basically over, for their faith. Over 8,000. 8,000, so 8, the number's 000 higher. 8,000 in 2023. Um, and, you know, this this keeps going, this killing. You know, it keeps going. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're dealing with the in the Middle East, with Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? Right, and I'm right. like, Lord Jesus, please come back. Right. That's the only answer to all of this. Yeah, well, sister, but, but let's ask the question, and I think it probably has to be asked, you know, why the hatred? Why do... 
why why such hatred towards Christianity in particular? And that's that's what it is. I mean, it actually is a religious conflict. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that uh, there's a there's a hatred that that is being expressed violently against Christians. Why? <laughs> Come on, I'm throwing you know, it I mean, to you. You want me to answer that question? Well, well, what do you think? I think um, when we are deeply converted, and what I mean by that is when we really have surrendered to the Lord and given our lives to the Lord, what we receive is his love, his mind, his heart for others. Okay, now mm-hmm. let me quote a rabbi. Okay, please. Okay. Um, and I'm still reading this book, and I highly recommend this book. If I were still teaching seniors, I would have them read this book. Okay. By Mitch Album. It's called Have a Little Faith. Okay. And Mitch Album is interviewing this his rabbi, basically. Okay. The rabbi said, I want you to do my eulogy. So at one point, he says to him, Rabbi, what about all these different religions? Right? There's so many different religions. How you know? What do we do with all of this? And I thought it was interesting because he's teaching him something about Ecumenism, in a way. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, if if you are, are you an authentic believer? Do you believe that your religion is authentic? Are you firm in your faith? And if you are, then you will be able to see authenticity in other religions. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah, Does yeah, that make yeah, sense? And, if, sure. and if, you, if you look at Vatican II, for example, one of the documents of Vatican II, I think it's Nostra Aetate, I think, um, but the Catholic Church rejects nothing of what is true in non-Christian religions, yeah. right? Yeah. Like even in, in Hinduism, mm-hmm. right? We reject nothing of what is true in those. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know. I didn't answer your question. Well, but, in a sense you did. In a sense you yeah. did. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, let's talk about truth and, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it is expressed publicly... Uh, uh, and, it, and it is okay. People, people, you know, who, who are, are faithful um, are are in public. Uh, they can be the victims of people who don't want that. They don't want to have the truth being expressed. They don't want that authentic. Mm-hmm. And that—that's the devil. That's what that is. You know, exactly. point blank. Yeah. So the hatred does come from uh, an animus that uh, that mm-hmm. Satan has against mm-hmm. uh, the truth. Yeah. Doesn't want it to be. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want it to be. Well, listen, we're going to go and close. No what? Some above. Already? Yeah, yeah. This is, Aww. but this is good stuff. Yes. Um, this is this is uh, from um, his offertory uh, for All Saints Day, William Byrd's offertory for All Saints Day. It's called Christe Resurgens, Christ Risen Dies No More. Let's listen to it. Thank you for listening to yes, Notes from thank Above. Thank you.